Amen. Thank you, Andy. If we could have the first slide up, please. That's great. There we go. Thank you. So today I want to talk about a topic. Um, I want to talk about vision today, and I think it's a massively underrated topic, and I think it's a massively overrated topic, and uh, I hope I can explain why I think it's both of those things all at the same time as we look at vision and answer this question, what do you see? There was a program on a few years ago, um, I, you'll be able to tell me if this is still on, um, it is, Alan, thank you, Alan, it is still on, that was a quick response there. So this, this program catchphrase. And for those of you who've never seen it, the idea is that you, there's a picture on a screen and you have to tell what the picture is and describe what you see on the screen. Uh, so I've got a couple just to test you to see if you can kind of get the concept of this. Uh, anybody tell me what that is? Apple pie. There we go. Uh, anyone like to explore? I'll explain why. It's a picture of an apple and inside is the number, the first few digits of the number pie. So there we go. So it's apple pie. Oh, there we go. So... Some of you are going to go home tomorrow. You're going to go, oh, I get it now. Um, anyone know what that is? Tricycle. Yeah, because there's three cycles. Cycle, 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 tricycle. There we go, tricycle. How about this one? Sorry, Andy? Oh. oh. Anyone got an idea what this is? Dominoes. Thank you very much, because there's the letters D-O-M surrounded by O's. It's Dom in O's. There we go. Very simple. No, he's in the Philippines. I know, I know. He's not even here, but he gets a mention. Except Domino's is the pizza company, not the chap. That's Dominic, not Domino's. So the idea is that, and there's a certain phrase that the hosts used to say, which was, say what you see. Say what you see. And he's trying to encourage people to guess what the words are. Say what you see. And you'll all know the illustration about the glass. And you'll know that an optimist sees that the glass is half full. And you know that a pessimist sees that the glass is half empty. And this, this kind of discussion is, well, how do you see things? And, and maybe you've looked at this before, and you know that the chemist says that the glass is full because there's water and air in the glass. And maybe you know that the engineer says the glass is twice as big as it needs to be because you only need a glass half the size for that amount of water. Maybe you know that the philosopher says, well, how do we know that the glass even exists? You know, the enthusiast says, oh, how exciting, a glass. And the moaner says, I wanted a cup of tea. You know that how you see things matters because our, our perception, our innate way of viewing the world affects the, the things around us that we see. And, and I think that's really important on a personal level. It's, it's important for all sorts of reasons. It's important because it, I've got a few things here. It affects our choices, the choices that you make in life, the decisions that you make about how to live your life and the, the things you'll do and the plans you make are completely affected by your outlook, by my outlook, our sense of our vision, our sense of what we see of ourselves and the world around us. It affects the ambitions that we have and things we aim for. It affects how we see ourselves as well. Very much affected by this. You know, I think it would be true that if we, if we put up a mirror and we try to describe what we saw, what we see would be very different to what other people see of us. And quite often what we see is all the, fl the flaws and faults and, uh, and the difficulties that we, we wrestle with day by day. And yet other people see really good things in us. And uh, I just wonder if, you could, if we could maybe switch that illustration from, from you know, the kind of one-way glass that you get, where you can see through it one way but not the other way. If, we, if people could see into us and tell us what they see, 
I think many of us would be greatly encouraged by what other people see of us when at times we look at ourselves and we see negatively. Uh, How you see things and what we see affects how we see other people and who we invest our time in. It affects how we spend our time and our finance. It affects our view of success and failure. Our life group is studying the... I'm signed up to the course, which is, if you want to walk on water, get out of the boat. And it's not actually about walking on water. It's about faith and following Jesus and what that looks like. Um, We're not actually all learning how to walk on water. That would be interesting, but not quite as perhaps as helpful as the actual course is all about, trusting God and following God and stepping out. And it's the story of Peter in the... New Testament, where Peter is in a boat and says to Jesus, if it's you, Lord, call me to come. And he steps out of the boat and, and starts to walk with Jesus. And the, the story goes that he begins to sink. And many people have looked at the story and told the story of why Peter sank. But, of course, the, the brilliant thing is that Peter's the second person in history only to walk, ever to walk on water. He succeeded, where everybody else had maybe either never tried or failed. And and Peter is this, this kind of person who's stepping out and trusting Jesus and succeeds in that regard. How we see things also affects our view of good or bad news. Is something good or bad? It all determine, it's all determined by how we see things. I've got one illustration. There's too many points there to, to illustrate all of them. So I've just chosen this last one. And this is a passage from 2 Kings chapter 20. And it's worth just quickly looking at this. 2 Kings 20, and I've got the the verses on the screen for you, but I just wanted to find them in my Bible as well. So this is King Hezekiah, and uh, he's gone through some troubles. Israel's gone through some problems, and uh, Hezekiah has been ill, and he's been unwell, and he's prayed, and God's kind of extended his life and healed him. Uh, And then uh, an envoy from Babylon comes to visit and Hezekiah is quite, I guess he wants to show this guy some hospitality, and he wants to show off a little bit. And so what Hezekiah, the king of Israel, does is he shows the, the emissary from, or the ambassador from Babylon all around his palace, and he shows him everywhere that you could possibly see. He sees absolutely everything, all the treasures of Israel. He sees the whole lot. He, uh, Hezekiah is overly enthusiastic at this point, and not very discreet, and sh- just shows the whole lot. And this is the the word that comes from the prophet Isaiah to Hezekiah in the middle of his foolishness. It says this, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away and they'll become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So we've got the situation where Hezekiah has shown around a rival power, a rival king, effectively, or his, his officials, and he said, come and have a look at all my stuff. And that's not a particularly good thing to do. If you want to impress people, you have to choose who you impress and choose how you impress them. Um, showing a burglar around your house and then going, isn't all my stuff wonderful? And then saying, thanks, bye, and shutting the door probably isn't very wise. And this is similar to what Hezekiah has done. And this word comes. Now, if you receive this word, I think you might be discouraged by this. You might think, that's not a particularly encouraging message to hear into my life. This is Hezekiah's response. 
The word of the Lord you've spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? Interesting, isn't it? So he's looking back at this bit here, and he, he says, the time, Isaiah says, and the time will come when everything will be taken away, and your, some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, will be taken away. Hezekiah hears that, and he thinks, well, if it's happening to my descendants, that means I'm okay. That's a good word. How small Hezekiah's vision's got. He's been the king of the nation. He's been responsible for, for millions of people, and suddenly his vision has shrunk down to this, this small, personal, it's all about me kind of perspective. Nobody else matters. Vision is very important. If vision is a picture of a preferred future, then whose vision it is is even more important than just this thing of vision. And I want to start today and really unpack for us today what God's vision is all about. Because I think our starting point must always be what is God's vision? What does God see? What's God bringing about before we can begin to see what we are meant to be seeing? So there's a question that God asks in the Bible. And it's the question that's at the top of the screen. What do you see? And I think this is a really godly question. It's a question God asks seven times in the Bible. Seven times he says, what do you see? This is the first of those illustrations, chronologically. The word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah and says, what do you see, Jeremiah? Jeremiah says, I see the branch of an almond tree. And God says, you've seen correctly, for I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. It's a lovely little cameo, a little story that we've got here. So God says to Jeremiah, what do you see? Jeremiah says, an almond tree. God says, you're right, you can see an almond tree. Interesting little story, isn't it? And you might think, well, why, why is he seeing an almond tree, and how does that match with the, the explanation? But the, the explanation, if you, if you have a Bible open and, or, or an app where you can look at the footnotes still, uh, it says there that the Hebrew for watching sounds like the Hebrew for almond tree. And so the, God has shown Jeremiah an almond tree because he's watching and waiting to fulfill his word. That's what's going on there. It's a play on words. But the important thing is that God has asked Jeremiah a question and Jeremiah has answered it. What do you see? It's a prophetic question. God says to Jeremiah again, what do you see? And so the conversation goes on with Jeremiah. Those seven questions that God asks when he says, what do you see? Every single one of them is asked to a prophet. Asked to a prophet every time. Three times to Jeremiah, twice to Amos, twice to Zechariah. It's a question which reveals the present. Reveals what God is doing right now and the situation that people are in. It reveals also God's plan for the future. This godly question shows what God is about to do in the nations. It's also a question which demonstrates God's call on people's lives. Just go back to that first illustration. If if God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah either can't see an almond tree or says a bowl of custard. He's not seeing what God is wanting him to see. And so we know at that point that he's not a prophet. He can't see as God wants him to. So if you can see what God sees, you you probably have a prophetic gift. But I just want to pick up on this sense that what you see actually helps determine your gifting. There are some people who notice particular problems. And you might, get particularly, you might get very animated that you can see things that are wrong and, 
And uh, you get frustrated because it seems like you're the only one who notices. And I'm not particularly talking about parents going into bedrooms of their offspring at this point. Because I think sometimes people do notice but don't mind uh, what condition places are in or what, you know, what state the bedroom's in. All that, all that sort of thing. Uh, so, but I think there are times when you notice a particular problem with the world or with your life or with other people and they don't seem to see it and no one else seems to notice. But it might just be because that's because God's wired you that way to make a difference. God's wired you that way, and he's given you the gift of sight so that you can see what other people can't. Sometimes you notice a social problem, and, and, and nobody else seems to care or notice. It might just be because God's wired you and called you to make a difference and step in, to, to be the first one to say, that's, that's me, I'm gonna, I can't see this situation any longer, I'm going to do something about it. We hosted the Winter Shelter last night, and Ian and Melissa and a team were here uh, looking after some of the homeless in, in Tunbridge Wells um, here in this building, and, and they, they're a couple who uh, I suspect they're not here. I hope they're in bed right now because they were up all night with the team. But they're a couple who ha- have seen an issue and they have sensed that God wants them to explore doing something about it, and, and they've noticed, and they're not bothered that lots of other people don't notice, but they're just, well, we've seen this, we've got to do something about it. And there's a sense of God's call. Why is that? I think because God has called them to do something about it. I think God has called them to act. And I just encourage you, if you can notice things that you, you wonder why nobody else is doing anything about, it may just be because God's called you to do that. So what do we... This is the first thing. I want to say it's a godly question that God asks. What is it you see? What do you see? What do you see? A biblical vision starts with God asking, what do you see? But I want us to see a few things about about vision today. And, and all of those illustrations that are answering the question, what do you see, show us the same thing. That biblical vision is about God's activity, not ours, primarily. God's vision is about God's activity, not about ours. The Bible says this, when the, this is God speaking, when there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions, I speak to them in dreams. And when God speaks to prophetic people, When God shows vision, he's speaking about himself. He's speaking about what he's going to do or has done or is doing. Generally speaking, in the Bible, vision isn't about us. It's about God and what he's up to. Vision is ultimately a revelation of God himself. Ultimately, that's what vision is. This is Jesus' words to the disciples. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father And no one knows the Father except the Son, and to those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The whole message of the gospel is that Jesus arrives in the world to make God known, to make the Father known. And that basis of revelation is God himself. Jesus doesn't necessarily come to to show the disciples what kind of home they should build or what their family should look like or all sorts of other things. He comes to show them God. In the Bible, vision is primarily a revelation of God, not of us. Thirdly, in the Bible, God gives vision on purpose. Not just for fun, for purpose. In Galatians, Paul writes this, God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. You notice a slight switch, switch here that the son, God's son, Jesus, is revealed in us, not just to us. So we receive the revelation of God and then we become the revelation of God to other people 
Uh, this is what Paul's indicating here. Uh, but we're given that revelation not just for us, but so that we might engage in God's purpose around the world. Ultimately, God gives vision to help us understand his activity, get to know him, and get involved. Jesus paints a picture of a day that's coming when, when all of creation, all of humanity, is stood before God's throne. And there's a question asked of people. And this is a question that Jesus is telling a story to a certain group of people. And he's saying, when you get to, to meet with God, he's going to ask you this question. And the question that's asked in that story is, basically, what have you done with what I gave you? What have you done with what I gave you? And, and, and the illustration is between sheep and goats, and they're separated, and some go on one side and some go on the other. And Jesus says, well, if you've looked after the poor and the hungry and the needy, you're like the sheep, and if you've ignored them, you're like the goats. And you think, well, why? I thought salvation was by grace. It is by grace. It is. We, we're not saved by what we do. We don't get into God's kingdom by what we do. We're saved by grace. He chose us. We choose him and we follow him, and we say, thank you, Lord, that you've wiped away my sin. I can't do it by my good works. There isn't a balancing scale in heaven where God goes, oh, your good works have outweighed your bad ones, therefore you can come in. It doesn't work like that. The only way into God's presence and into his kingdom is by grace. He's paid the price for all our sin. It's gone. It's dealt with. I think this passage is talking about something else. And Jesus is giving the illustration that you, you know that you have received grace. You know that you have been saved. You know that you have received your sins being forgiven by what flows out of that, by what comes from that. Uh, Like in the book of James, James writes and says, you you show me this and I'll show you my good deeds. Because my good deeds demonstrate the faith that's inside. I'm saying all that to illustrate this question that Jesus asks, or Jesus says that the Father will ask, what did you do with what I gave you? He won't ask us, what did you see? How impressive was your vision? How exciting was it? Was it a really big vision? Was it thrilling? Did you get lots of people excited about your vision? Did you have it on a banner like we have? Did you put it on a website? Did you write a book about it? Did you? He'll say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what you had? What did you do with what you saw? What flowed from it? Because our Vision is given to, on purpose to us. It's not just given to make us feel good and to make us get excited. It's to mobilize us into action. What did you do with what you saw? You know, sometimes I think vision is, is confusing, appears confusing to us. And I don't know if you remember years ago, there was, in, it, I, I think you could get books which had these pictures in, like 3D pictures. Um, certainly in some of the newspapers, they used to produce these things week after week. And our family got them. My parents got these newspapers. And I remember sitting at the dining table with these color supplements. And repeatedly, we'd stare at this thing. And you're meant to squint. And, and, and as you looked at this multicolored picture, somehow you're meant to see this, this 3D image appearing through the page. And you know what? For, for months, try as I might, I could squint. I could hold it. I couldn't see it. Uh, and somebody else in the family could, and you felt like, well, what's special about them? What's different about them? They can see this jolly picture, and I can't, and suddenly I felt all left out. And I think when we're talking about vision, it can feel like that, that somehow some people see this stuff, and I don't. Their life sounds really exciting, and mine doesn't. Mine sounds dull. 
I want to encourage you today. Eventually, I could see those pictures. Ah, oh, that's what it's all about. Oh, I can get it now. And you could get your eyes in a certain position and do a certain thing, and the image would come, and it wasn't actually that very exciting after all. The exciting thing was that you got to join the club of people who could see. I think when we talk about vision, often it sounds a bit like that. But I want to show you today that God has a vision already. So the question is, what's God's vision? And then secondarily, what are we going to do about that? So this I want to show you, I believe, is part of God's vision. Revelation 21. Because this is what a vision given to John in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, and it points to the end. And I think this is something that God wants to show us today. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That sound exciting? Yeah, good. I think that's God's vision. And I'll show you why I think that. I think that this is God's vision for the world to start with. John writes this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I have preached on this before. And I remember saying, don't panic if you like the seaside. This isn't a point about how bad the seaside is. Or if you love surfing, this isn't a point about that. This is a, a picture, picture language. And, and, and in this time, sea was the, the place where all the nasties were. And it was a bit worrying and a bit dangerous and, and, and there's sort of bad stuff out there. And the image is saying there's no longer any sea. There's no longer any of that mysterious land outside. It's God has made something new. And it's about togetherness and unity, about people being together with God. That's the whole image. So rather than land, blocks of land separated by sea, the image that John is writing about is of people being together in God's presence with him. But the point is this, that God is making a new heaven and a new earth. We see renewal and restoration here. Where, where the, the earth has become fractured and broken and damaged and, and, and spoiled. And God is making all things new. He's renewing the whole of creation to to make it how it should be, restoring it to his original intention. And he's renewing it. Does this mean that we can plunder the earth and destroy it? No, I don't think it does. I don't think this gives us free reign to, to be ecologically, uh, van, ecological vandals, if you like, and do whatever we want because God's going to fix it one day. I think we still have a responsibility to care for the world that God's put us in. But John here is describing this newness that God will bring that no matter how broken things seem right now, God is going to make them new. God is going to renew them. He's going to make them whole. He's going to restore. We see this passage in the next chapter. And this, this reminds us, if you're familiar with the story of the Garden of Eden, this reminds us of that. This is right at the end of the Bible, and, and it reminds us of something right at the beginning. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, that's Jesus, uh, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. 
No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Uh, It's some unusual terminology if you're not very familiar with all the intricacies of Bible language, but basically it's pointing back to the beginning of time when the Bible tells another story of how God made a garden, and in it was a tree of life. And if you ate from the tree of life, it sustained you and gave you life. And, And we see at the end of the story, there's a city. And in the city is a river. And um, either side of the river stands a tree of life. The tree at the end and the tree at the beginning, linking the two ends of this book together. Linking God's vision in the beginning and his vision at the end together and saying, God is making all things new. Go back to that passage in Revelation 21. We see also a vision for the church built into that passage. It says there, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. God's vision for the church is one of refinement. A bride being ready. There's a story in the Old Testament of a lady called Esther who is taken as a young lady into the king's palace and before she can go before the king and perhaps become his queen, she's prepared for a year of beauty treatments and all sorts of things, skin treatments, for one year to get her ready to go and see the king. And, uh, and the Bible tells us that God is working in us, that the church globally is being prepared for Jesus' return. The church is being prepared for Jesus to come back and that we might be with him ready, uh, uh, ready and waiting for him to come. Jesus himself tells many stories about people who were ready and some who weren't when the king would come back. This church in this passage is a place of God's presence. And I just want to say this, that where God is, it's never stuffy or dry or selfish or out of date. Where God is, is always vibrant and alive. Which is why our programs and our patterns of doing things matter far less than pursuing God and his presence. Than knowing God and following him and worshipping him and delighting in him. How we do that matters much less. The way we do Sundays matters less. The way we do our programs, all that matters less. It's an outworking of something that's at the core of us encountering God and and, and knowing his life within us. God's vision for the church is that he might be at the center. There's another verse here that just, just says this. In Ephesians 3, it's Paul writing, God's intent was now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavens according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. God wants to display stuff through us in the heavenlies and, I believe, on earth too. But God also has a vision for you and for me, not just for the world, not just for the church, but for you and for me. This is at the end of this passage. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. It's very personal, that image, isn't it? As God personally wipes away tears, as God personally deals with death and sin and shame, He's dealt with our brokenness and our separation from him. He's dealt with those things that we 
believe are part of us right now, that we say, well, this is who I am, and we live in a way that doesn't glorify God, and he's done away with all of that, all those things we wrestle with now. And we can see him, and he sees us. You know, I used to have dreams years ago. I don't often remember dreams, but I remember remembering some where I, I would go into a room or into a building and I wouldn't be able to see. And often this would be because I'd just been out in the sunlight in my dream. And you know how you look up at the sun or you see something bright and you go into the darkness and you can't see where you are. Well, I've often had dreams like this. And, and I think there's, my, my concern for many of us is that when we're looking to the future, actually it's so cloudy because all we can see right now is the present. When we're looking to try and see what God's vision is for our lives and what God's purpose is for our lives, so often we just see the stuff around us and it's like the inverse of that dream I used to have where you look at the sun, you look at something bright, and you, you can't find your way around indoors. And I think sometimes we can't see what God's wanting to do because we've been uh, affected by the things around us. What does all this mean for us? What does all this mean for us today? Well, let me just finish with these points. I think firstly we need to understand what vision is. The vision and God's vision is different from our vision at times. I've said today that vision is about what God says in the Bible is is his vision for his world and his church and for us and for all people. Uh, And I believe that that's true. I believe that's what God sees as vision. But we need to understand that that's different from our plans and our ideas and our thoughts. And that's okay. I've often heard people say, God has told me to do this. And sometimes people are coming to chat things through with me as, uh, in the church and, or in different churches, and, and people say, Stuart, God's told me to do this. And you know there's a very short conversation coming immediately after that because there's not a lot I can say at that point. And sometimes someone might say something that doesn't seem like it holds any sense, or not just sense, but it just doesn't sit as right as if it could possibly be God's that told them. But when someone's sitting and says, God has told me, there's not very much room you've got to move. You can't really say, no, he hasn't, because I'm not God. So I tend to just go, oh, okay, well, let's pray then, because, boy, you're going to need prayer in that situation. You're really careful with saying those things. I tend to find myself saying, I think God has told me, or I believe God has told me. It doesn't sound as impressive, doesn't sound as powerful, but it's a little bit more honest, I think. And I'm also submitting myself to others saying, I think God's told me this, what do you think? Because you know what, we can get it wrong. In the Old Testament, if a prophet got it wrong, you stoned them. In the New Testament, if a prophet gets it wrong, other prophets around them correct them and help them and guide them. It's a different model now. And we're glad for that. Particularly those of us who are slightly, you know, who are slightly prophetic and want to hear from God. You're glad that you don't get stoned to death if you get it wrong. Sometimes our vision, our sense of vision, where we say God has given me a vision, can cause us some problems. Why? Because it's sometimes very impressive, big language for something that's really simple. And I think we can help ourselves by being a bit more honest at times. A bit bit more honest by saying, I'd love to see this happen. You know what? I've imagined what it might be like if this happened, and, and I'd just love to see it. I can see a gap, and I think we could do this. And sometimes that's so much more honest than saying, I've got a vision for. Now, both can be true, because God still does give visions. He still gives people vision. He still gives dream. He still gives ambition. All of that can come from God. 
But I think we just need to, it, it's okay to have an idea. It's okay to have a desire. It's okay to want to do something without having to say, God has given me a vision. It's okay to do both. Secondly, God already has a vision for the world. So you don't need to come up with your own. Isn't that great? Doesn't that take the pressure off? God's already got a vision for his world, so we don't need to invent one. Oh well, I'm excited by that. He's in control. And if ever you get stuck, you just have to look at the end of the book and discover that God has a plan. Thirdly, we can ask God where we fit in. Remember, if you notice something that other people don't seem to be noticing, that could be a clue that God's wired you a certain way to fit in in a certain place. God still gives visions. Peter in the Bible had a vision of something God wanted him to see so that he could do the thing God wanted him to do, to share the gospel. Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia calling him to come and preach. Why? So that God would get him to do the thing that he wanted him to do. God still gives visions today. Absolutely. And if he does, if he's given you a vision, great. Celebrate it. Thank God for it. But it will be to help you do the thing that God wants you to do. Fourthly, do something. It's okay to have ideas and make plans. It's okay to plan for work, to plan for studying, to plan for retirement, to plan for a new job, to plan for a house. It's okay to do all of those things. There's nothing wrong with all of those plans. Just ask the question, God, what are you doing? What's your plan? What's your vision? What's your desire? And where God hasn't spoken, it's okay to carry on doing the last thing that God told you to do. Sometimes we can get caught up because we think, well, you know, it's a new year. God, what's your vision for this new year? What, what do you want me to see? And sometimes God just says to us, well, have you finished doing what I told you to do last year? And sometimes we need to say, no, I haven't actually. He says, well, there you go. Get on with that then. Finally, take courage. God has a big vision for the world, a big vision for the church, a big vision for you and for me. And because it's big, we can be bold when we're making our plans. When we're dreaming our dreams, when we're setting our goals, we can be ambitious and bold and courageous because when they connect with God's plan and God's vision, nothing is too big. God is transforming the entire world. He's renewing the whole thing. So whatever you do to say, I'd love to do this by the end of my life, it's not too big. How could it be? God's redoing the whole thing. So whatever you plan to do, go for it. If it fits in with God's overall plan to renew the world, to bring glory to himself and have a community of people centered around him. Be courageous in what you attempt to do. I haven't got time to go and grab the banner from the back and drag it to the front that says vision on it. But it says this, we see a radiant church encountering God and moving in the spirit. A faith-filled people who demonstrate God's kingdom and are transformed, equipped, mobilized, and sent daily as part of God's redemptive purpose for the world. You notice it doesn't say on there, we have a vision of a church of this size or a church of this building or a church doing this, that, and the other. Not that any of those things are bad, but all of those things are plans and ideas. Uh, I think what we've presented is a, a years ago and still presenting now is a vision that connects with God's overall vision of how he's renewing the world. What then of 2016 for us as a church? 
and for us as individuals. As we wrap this all up, I think God wants to do these things amongst us. I think he's refining us individually. Purifying, cleansing, restoring, renewing. Those are old words, but they're good words. I think God is wanting us, as he did in our week of prayer, to place himself at the center of our lives and have everything else around him. And it's the same as that picture in heaven, the same as that picture in Revelation of the new heaven and new earth with God at the middle. I think God wants to be right at the middle of everything we're doing this year. I believe that God wants to see more people equipped to serve him really well. More people grabbing hold of his vision for his world and saying, I'm in. I want to play a part. I don't quite know what it is, but I want to play a part. Get me involved. I think God wants to see mission taking a central place as we grow in confidence in living for Jesus. I think God wants us to be able to find a way of helping more people encounter him as we gather together on Sundays. I believe God wants us to continue to grow together in life groups and in different ways, growing powerfully and passionately devoted to Jesus. I think God wants us to have more people discovering our call, finding the gifting that he's given and finding somewhere to serve. And overall, I believe that God wants us to lift him up, not ourselves up, this year. None of that may surprise you, but that's okay. Why? Because our vision needs to fit in with God's vision of building his church, of renewing his world, of transforming individual lives. Can we pray together? I want to pray for you and for me that we might see as God sees. Just, just, before, just before you shut your eyes, I've been doing some decorating recently. And the bit I don't like of decorating, well, there's lots of stuff I don't like about decorating, but one bit that I'm never that keen on is cutting in. And for those of you who've ever decorated before, I look at Alan because he's a decorator. He's retired now, so you can't get your decorating done by Alan, okay, just in case you're wondering. Cutting in is the bit where, and this ceiling doesn't help very much, but you've got, maybe you've got a white ceiling and you're painting a color on the wall. Cutting in is doing the edge neatly. Cutting in is fiddly. And I, I, I've got a reasonably steady hand, but I've always wondered in the past why my lines look a bit more like a hillside than, than a horizon. It's a bit more wobbly sometimes. And I've discovered this year, this time, decorating, that the secret for me is not to look at where my brush is. Because if I'm looking where my brush is, so, you know, it's going up and down a little bit. The secret for me, I discovered it's just worked for me, it might not work for you, but was actually not to look at my brush, but look ahead. And so I'm, I'm looking kind of six inches ahead as I'm, as I'm painting, and my hand followed, and, and I discovered that it might just be a fluke, but every line just happened to perfectly match the ceiling, the corner of the ceiling. And I just looked ahead of where I was going, and pe- the brush followed along behind. It's a really simple illustration to encourage you, if you're struggling, if life feels a bit wobbly, if you're not sure where you should be going, look ahead. See God's vision for the world. See God's vision for the church. See God's vision for your life. Redemption, restoration, wholeness with him at the middle. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're building your church, not as an empire, not uh, that we might be glorified ourselves, not uh, to make us look successful, but Lord, you are building a people who are transformed and who have you at the center. Lord, I thank you that one day we will see or be part of a heavenly city. 
a new heaven and a new earth, and when we will be part of that, whatever that actually looks like when we see it in our own eyes, uh, we will be part of your kingdom. We're in dwelling in physical reality with other people celebrating you, with you at the center, with you enthroned, with life available, with no sin or mourning or shame or tears or brokenness. Lord, we thank you that you are restoring and renewing. And I pray, Lord, that we would see as you see. Lord, that where people, some of us may have been struggling with what life has thrown up this year already, or what life was throwing up last year. We may be struggling with our circumstances. Lord, I pray that we might see what you are about. That when we're making our plans for this year, when we're trying to determine what our vision might be, or our goals might be, or our our purposes might be for this coming year, I pray that, Lord, that we would not be too small, or too fearful, or too timid in making our plans, but we would connect with your big picture of what you're doing. I pray you'd help us look ahead and see you, that our lives might follow along behind, full of vision, your vision for us. In Jesus' name, amen.